It is Wednesday, October 7th, 2020, and you are listening to the Federalist Forum, a constitutional think tank for every patriotic American. Today on the Federalist Forum, we will talk about what a prosecutor looks for when reviewing police shootings, and we'll also spend some time talking about more things you can do to get involved in your community. Coming up next on the Federalist Forum. Good evening. Welcome to the Federalist Forum. I'm your host, Tom. Thank you for tuning into the podcast that's become a popular resource for conservative truth and activism. The podcast that will send you a reminder of new and exciting, informative episodes if you hit that subscribe or follow button. Shameless plug. Hey, I hope everyone is well, and I hope you are all watching over each other out there. With so much trust having been lost in our society, it is so important we start to believe in each other and stick together through our divided environment. I want to spend a little time talking about that today in a little bit. But first, I want to spend a few minutes shedding some light on the truth behind the decision not to charge officers in the shootings of often violent subjects. It would seem common sense, but let's go through the minutia, the details, the things that the left doesn't really want to talk about or consider. Uh, Tensions are high here in Milwaukee again, as the DA met with the family of Alvin Cole uh, late this afternoon to inform them that uh, they would not be pressing charges against Officer Joseph Mensa uh, in the shooting of uh, their son, their family member, uh, in an officer-involved incident. Cole was fatally shot by Wauwatosa police officer Joseph Benz after he fired at officers with a stolen firearm. You know, this case is complicated by many factors, including the fact that this is actually the third fatal shooting by Officer Mensa, an officer-involved shooting by Mensa in three years. And all have been ruled justifiable deadly force in self-defense. Those facts, are, those are the facts. I mean, it's plain as day. It's, it's very surreal that one officer would be involved in three of them in five years, uh, but I, you know, it can be chalked up to nothing more than bad luck or circumstances. They're justifiable. Uh, you know, I wrote an article uh, in August, I think, where protesters, including a state legislator, had showed up at Mensa's house and fired shots through his back door where his girlfriend and her young children were inside. Uh, that state legislator is still in office, by the way. Listen, this has been a really tense one in the Milwaukee area. And this is not just, I mean, we've got Kenosha too. Uh, This is a different suburb. Uh, And these families, they hurt. I get it. But blaming the police is displaced. It is extremely difficult under the law to prove an officer did not act in self-defense when firing shots. There are some key legal factors that prosecutors weigh when deciding whether to issue charges in on-duty police shootings. These incidents are, after all, self-defense. Because one is wearing a uniform does not mean they forfeit their right to self-defense against death or great bodily harm or whatever measure of force meets the threat. And I think that some on the left believe that police should just stand there and be assaulted. In fact, I know they do because I've heard them say as much when watching some of these many live streams from various protests over the last couple of months. I've heard them say as much that these officers are paid to do that, they should just take the assault. It's absolutely absurd and moronic that anyone of healthy mind could reasonably come to that conclusion. Anyway, police officers, you know, in these situations will invoke self-defense, and they typically have been deemed justified in using deadly force if they reasonably reasonably believe three things. That an individual has the ability to cause death or great bodily harm to the officer, that the opportunity to cause death or great bodily harm to the officer was there, and that they put the officer or someone else in jeopardy or imminent danger. I mean, those are three very critical criteria, and they're very straightforward. 
even if it later turns out that there was no real threat, uh, you know, if an investigation determines that, a self-defense claim can still be viable if a person actually believed that he or she was in danger at the time of the incident. And any reasonable person in the same situation would have believed the same thing. If, if prosecutors could prove such a belief was not reasonable, they could pursue homicide charges in these cases. But it's very hard to prove the non-existence of something. Many officers, uh, I should say many people in general will ask, well, what is the reasonable standard? And who is the reasonable person an officer's conduct must be compared to? Well, the answer to that is another officer who has faced or is facing the same or very similar circumstances. And that standard was created in Graham v. O'Connor in a 1989 Supreme Court decision. Uh, the reasonableness of a particular use of force must be judged from the perspective of a reasonable officer on the scene. The court wrote that. And it said it must also account for the fact that police officers are often forced to make split-second decisions about the amount of force necessary in a particular situation. This is why experts in police use of force often are consulted in prosecutors' charging decisions and later called to testify in court cases. Those experts explain officers' training, decision-making process, and why the officer likely did or did not fear for their life. You know, there must be a focus on the split-second decision to use force. In police shootings, prosecutors focus on the second or the few seconds an officer pulls the trigger. When investigating, they will ask themselves things like, what did the officer know at the time? What did he or she believe? What was happening in their surroundings? Did they reasonably believe that they were at risk of deadly violence? You know, when it comes to an internal review of a shooting, when police agencies decide whether an officer broke the department rules, you know, experts say that the entirety of an incident, not just the split-second decision to use force, should be reviewed. Many departments, when they do their internal review, will focus on a full encounter to include the decisions the officer made that might increase or decrease the likelihood of facing death or seriously, serious bodily harm at the end. These situations are so dynamic, and they evolve so very quickly. One might say that in a perfect world, police officers would have another option. And I agree, because in a perfect world, people who would otherwise behave unlawfully would instead accept accountability for their own actions and take responsibility for the situations they have put themselves in. This idea that we have to continually try to justify criminal behavior is outrageous. It, I just can't get it. It blows my mind. But it continues, and it gets worse and worse and worse. It is all very frustrating, especially when the emotionally impulsive Democrats refuse to think critically. So meanwhile, another American city is upside down once again. Businesses are boarded up, stores are closed early, schools that had just reopened went into virtual learning uh, the rest of the week in anticipation of civil unrest. The National Guard is back patrolling southeast Wisconsin again. And likely they will be around for a while, as we should be hearing from the Wisconsin Attorney General any day now with regards to the Jacob Blake uh, shooting incident that sparked all of the unrest back in August. You know, it's, it's crazy. But, you know, what I want to talk about now is the often thrown around phrase these days that if you see something, say something. Because it pertains to all of this too, with all of this unrest going on around us. We have to start watching out for one another. We have to bring a continuity to us that feels like extended family. I know I say we, I mean the conservatives in general. Because that is something that the left does very well. But while they use it to be aggressive, obstructive, and harmful, we can use those same values of unity to be proactive and consistent in our defense of each other and in our communicated messages with one another. And when you keep an eye on other people's safety, your own safety awareness improves. We see hazards that people don't notice, making for a much safer environment for all of us. 
It's situational awareness, and I've talked about that before, but it cannot be restated too frequently. We're, you know, we're all at risk of occasional cognitive failure, right? You know, that moment where you are staring right at your keys but can't find them or for a split second don't notice a car speeding along towards you on the road or you can't remember why you walked into a room. It's We've all done that. I can't keep track of how many times that's happened. You know, we're experiencing cognitive failure in those moments, even briefly. You know, if this happens in a volatile environment where there are even more distractions, the consequences can be devastating and even deadly. No one is absolutely perfect, and our concentration efforts can fail us at times. It, it also doesn't hurt to speak up and watch out. You'll never have to regret that you could have said something but didn't. Imagine if you knew a safety concern or there was danger to somebody, you didn't say something, and somebody got hurt or worse. And that, that could be on your mind for a very long time, if not the rest of your life. Now, by speaking up, if you see something potentially dangerous, you'll really never have the nightmare of knowing that you had the power to help or potentially change the outcome but failed to do so by your own choice. We've become so withdrawn as a society, especially during this pandemic, that I think we are really at a greater risk as more of the population begins to move about again. This, this is a good time to start exercising your mind. When you're out next to go to the store or wherever you may have to go work or running kids around, just randomly start to take notice of really obscure things, abstract things that you might not normally think about. Uh, you know, the color of buildings or the number of cars in a parking lot or a light that's out on a particular sign of a business. These things may all sound silly, but it's training your brain again to exercise its periphery, to start noticing things that may look out of place or that may be useful uh, to remember in a situation where there could be a problem. You know, as it pertains to the more volatile nature of our political environment, think about how often we see the vulnerable or the handicapped or the elderly or the otherwise disengaged in society become a victim of these groups of thugs who seem to be running our streets in these in so many American cities. And sometimes we might see the potential for this seconds or maybe even minutes before it happens. And there's something we can do about it. And we should. Get involved in community groups online. Even if it doesn't mean you contribute to the discussion, but follow along. Know what is going on in your area. Be informed. But don't be afraid to speak up. That is something that I think is the hardest thing for, for many people right now who really want to speak their mind but they feel afraid to because of the backlash or they simply don't want to be ridiculed or deal with the nastiness that comes from people. It's truly awful and that's understandable to have that because it's a real thing. It really happens. Every day we see it. you know. But unfortunately, the fact that we have remained passive for so long, not saying anything or not paying attention to things, well, that's part of the reason we are now in a situation where we are, feel afraid to speak up. It's why we were being taken advantage of and bullied by these cowards on the left. And the online ones are the worst. But you have to remember that they're just that. They're online cowards. Hiding in a closet somewhere with a smartphone, acting tough while they hide from mommy. Don't be afraid of those cowards. Do not let them have that power over you. And that's part of where the online groups and communities can help. You'll often have people come to your defense. You're not alone. You're not alone online or out in the streets. There are tens of millions of us. We just need to do a better job of networking. We've gotten so much better in recent months. If you think about all the the rallies now that you see the you know the pro-police marches uh, the trump marches of course and things like that we're getting so much better at being organized and getting out there and, and speaking our minds but we have further to go you know one last thought i'd probably leave with you today in a way to get engaged is neighborhood watch programs they're great and most police departments have the resources to help facilitate getting these started for you but generally there are four areas you want to focus on well, the first one is getting organized. 
contact the police department or local client crime prevention organization if there's one there in your community that does these kinds of things for help and training uh, members of the community that you might want to have this block watch with in home security and reporting skills and for information on local crime patterns so you know what to look for uh, most police departments will happily give you that information especially when they know that you know you're looking out proactively to try to curb some of this stuff Select a coordinator or a block watch captain who are responsible for organizing meetings and relaying information to members, recruit members, you know, keep up to date on new residents, and make special efforts to involve the elderly, working parents, and young people. You know, work with local government and law enforcement to put up neighborhood watch signs, usually after 50% you know, or so of households in your area agree to participate. The second thing is understand what neighborhood watch members look for. You're going to look for someone screaming or shouting for help. You're going to look for people looking in the windows of parked cars or homes, unusual noises, uh, property being taken, uh, taken out of houses where no one is home or a business is closed, cars, vans, or trucks moving slowly without any apparent destination or without lights on, anyone being forced into a vehicle, a stranger sitting in a car or stopped to talk to a child or abandoned cars. You, know, you report these incidents to police departments. Talk about the problem with your neighbors. Share what you're seeing so that your neighbors can look out for it too. Thirdly, know how and what to report, really. You want to give your name and your address. You want to briefly describe the event, what happened, when, where, and who was involved. Describe a suspect if you can, the sex and race, the age, the height, weight, hair color, if you know, clothing. Clothing is a big one. There's distinctive things very distinctive about clothing. Uh, very colorful shoes or a certain hat or I mean there's the smallest details can be very very helpful look for other distinctive characteristics such as a beard or mustache scars tattoos or an accent you know describe the vehicle if one was involved the color the make the model the year license plate if you have it or look for something that stands out about the vehicle did it have a tail light smashed out are there certain bumper stickers on it did it have a big dent in the front fender there's some kind of decal on it. You know, things that are really going to make that vehicle stand out. Fourth and lastly, keep your neighborhood watch group active. This is the hardest one, really. And it's an unfortunate fact that when neighborhood crime starts to go away, because that's what these groups want to do. You want to lower crime in the area. But the negative impact on these groups is that when crime goes away, so does the enthusiasm for being a neighborhood watch. And then the cycle just repeats itself. So work to keep your watch group a vital force for the community well-being going forward. Organize regular meetings that focus on current issues such as drug abuse, hate or bias, motivated violence, crime in schools, child care before and after school, recreational activities for young people, victim services, all different kinds of things that can help people every single day that can keep this watch group connected together, uh, consistent continuity in their communication. Organize community patrols to walk around the streets or apartment complexes and alert police to crime and suspicious activities and remember to identify problems needing attention you know people um and have resources your cell phones that you can use but you know i always recommend if you're going to do these things don't do them yourself always go with you know one or two other people again safety in numbers you know, adopt a park or a school playground pick up litter repair broken equipment paint over graffiti you know, work with local building code officials that require deadbolt locks, smoke alarms, and other safety devices in new and existing homes. You know, work with parent groups and schools to start a McGruff house or other block parent program to keep children you know, in emergency situations safe and to teach them and educate them how to handle things and how to understand what you know might be a frightening situation. Publish a newsletter that gives prevention tips and local crime news. It doesn't have to be regularly. It doesn't have to be monthly. It could be quarterly. 
but keep something going that recognizes what's going on in your community. Take time to recognize neighbors or residents around you that have made a difference, highlighting things they've done. People love to be recognized for something that they've done that's helped others. These are all things that are really easy to do. And don't forget social events that give neighbors a chance to get to know each other. A block party, potluck dinner, a volleyball or softball game or a picnic or something in a park near you. But something that keeps you talking and on the same page and watching out for one another. So we, we have to continue to fight together to take back our streets, our schools, our communities, our neighborhoods, and our sense of peace. And we don't have to reinvent the wheel to do this. We just have to make a conscious effort to be more proactive, more engaged, and less afraid to speak our mind. That's all I have for today. If you enjoy the show, I'd be very grateful if you'd take a minute to share it with your friends and family. Subscribe and leave me a review if you would be so kind. And feel free to follow along and engage with me on Parlor. I'm always on there for discussion. My handle is at ExposingLibsBS. Friends, it is time for all of us to passionately take action. And we the people have a proud history of doing just that. You've been listening to the Federalist Forum. Thank you for your listenership and for your patriotism as we fight together to preserve the founding principles of our constitutional republic. Until next time, sapientia est potentia. Wisdom is power.